today on Semi-Intellectual Musings. I have an announcement, and no, it's not another baby. Matt ventures off to Getzno and visits the Canadian Museum of History's hockey exhibit. I made it out alive feeling like a true Canuck, and heck, I even learned something. This is Hockey Night at the Museum. Nice coming up on a weekend. There's uh, far less. Oh yeah, you don't come up on weekends basketball. much anymore. You don't visit me on weekends. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it was a nice drive. It's uh, it's a gorgeous day. It's a little chilly though. It's always uh, it's got a weird cold wind. It uh, follows around the corner like literally. Like, yeah. In a couple weeks, I think uh, we we could start to see snow uh, end of September here. Yeah, no, it's it's weird. Um, as soon as September first happened, the um, fall like appeared. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, leaves have started to fall. Last year, we had a snowstorm September 10th. Like, right. storm. Like, I'm talking, like, two inches. Up here? Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, I still had the summer tires on. Uh, it was, like, hideous. It was not not fun at all. So this year, we could get snow uh, probably that early again. And it's weird, like, uh, this year, our winter went into, I don't know, like, April or something? Like, I remember it being freezing cold on my balcony in, like... The middle of April. Yeah, we had a long winter this year, and I think we're in for another wet, long, stormy, snowy, mm. disgusting Canadian winter. Oh, man, it's good that climate change doesn't exist. Eh? <laughs> right, yeah, no, no, I mean, you know, jeez. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of Semi-Intellectual Musings. Uh, this is a podcast that looks at social sciences, humanities, and arts that connects the published world to your everyday life. We want to show you uh, why we think research matters, and in the process, show you what we love nerding out over. Uh, we give you fresh takes from some of our favorite books, music, films, and sports, striving to make everything from social theory to cooking with wine interesting and accessible. And, Matt, we try not to take ourselves too seriously. Matt, we've said this before, but a successful podcast episode of this show is when uh, we and our listeners say, hmm, never thought of it that way before. Uh, we want to make learning fun and diversified and inclusive and interesting I guess I already said that. Uh, look, if you're new here, uh, think of the show as joining us weekly for some drinks at the local campus pub. The main difference is your notebooks can be tossed aside. Who needs them? Uh, check out the show notes that will guide you along. And our promise is to always give you our honest opinion, whether that's about a book we are reviewing, something we read in the news, a movie we watched, or as is the case today, museum exhibits we visit. That's right. Uh, some days ago, a courageous soul left the sleepy woods where we come together weekly to celebrate, to rejoice, to eat, to ponder, philosophize, all in front of these microphones. Uh, one of us stepped out into the real world, my friends, with people and cars and smells and weird noises. Uh, one of us decided that they had had enough of being an anthropolite. <laughs> an anthropolite? What is uh... An anthropolite, man. Okay, so like I pride myself on having pretty wide vocabulary, but I have not come across that. So I got to think that you are uh, insulting me, Philip. Well, an anthropolite, a petrified human body, part of one. Oh, or yeah. as the uh, dictionary sure. says, Matt, a fossil of supposedly human origin, a person without feelings or emotions. Matt, but you know what? Um, it's all you, buddy. You decided to take the leap forward, go out into the wild world. And I have to say... Even though I can't have emotions, I'm actually really pleased that you're back, I think. 
Thank you. Thanks. My mind is spinning already. So this is why we do this podcast, my friend. I'm thinking a coprolite, uh, an anthropolite. I guess an anthropolite is something that generates coprolites. It's a petrified human body. Yeah. It's so, it's what basically I turn into when the like the sun goes down and I'm in the sleepy woods. Oh, that's uh, that's what you turn into, eh? Not a not a mummy. No. Well, it. it could be a mummy. I, I could see you just it like shooting a out of bed, just sitting up like a Frankenstein, just like my back. Hey, I'm not the one who took anthropology, though. Maybe I'm, I, and I'm definitely not a socialite. But yeah. I don't, I you know. You know, I'm the one who took anthropology, man. You know, I'm always watching. Yeah, well, you're lucky that you got out. <laughs> like so, I'm watching you from the woods, man. <laughs> uh, if it seems that this word anthropolite came out of nowhere, uh, I did. You know, it's from an email from a fan. Uh, she said that we should use the word at some point. Uh, I didn't come up with it. I'm not that, I'm not that clever. Um, so anyway, but Matt, uh, give us a peek, uh, about, uh, you know, so you went out into the wild. Uh, what was that like? What did you do? Um, so did you like, did you study something? Did, uh, did they, did the others bite you? (laughs) Well, it's funny that you talk about like the wild and people biting you. So I went to Gatineau. And I went to the Museum of History, formerly called the Museum of Civilization, and I checked out uh, their Hockey in Canada exhibit. Um, It's something that they put out for the Canada 150 celebrations this year. Um, So I went along. It's free on Thursday night. Checked it out. Um, I took my notebook and uh, made sure my phone was fully charged, so I snapped a whole bunch of pictures. And I went in with uh, the eye of an anthropologist or a sociologist, kind of thinking like, what are we going to talk about on this podcast? Um, so I think we're going to focus in on the culture and the politics of hockey in Canada and paying specific attention to gender and ethnicity, plus a whole bunch of other little tidbits that I found interesting along the way. So it's kind of like a dispatch. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, so the theme of not being able to leave the woods, uh, while sadly a reality for me most days, weeks, months, years now, uh, has been much better uh, approached on a new podcast called Poplar Cove by Jocelyn DeVore. And as a treat, we have a trailer for you. So let's spend a minute and a half listening to that now. Welcome to Poplar Cove, everyone. This town follows its own set of rules. Who are the great old ones? Is that a rock band or something? You don't know of the Great Old Ones? Powerful deities from space? With physical appearances that no human being could comprehend? Unless, of course, you drink enough coffee. <laughs> uh, summon him with caution, as mere men who have spoken with this beast have gone mad. <laughs> well, that's silly. She talked about elder gods and how they have tentacles. If an elder god were to try and eat me, I should try to punch it in the nose and... No? Wait, maybe that was sharks. Fine. If you're not going to play nice, this reminds me of my favorite soap opera. Oh, Hobart, darling, I'm so glad that you're awake. Oh my, she looks delicious. I would like to smother her in barbecue sauce and... Nope, that's not right. What's going on in my head? Are you dizzy? Seeing double, hallucinating, delirious? Are you seeing characters from some foreign language floating up from the carpet? Are they forming words that you are suddenly privy to? Do you hear chanting of some kind when you are alone? Are they telling you how to summon the beast? I'm... fine. If you like other podcasts like Alice Isn't Dead or Welcome to Night Vale, 
you're going to love Popular Cove. It has just the right amount of suspense and intrigue that gets you wrapped up in the lives and stories of the characters, and the wonderful music really makes the show feel enchanted, like the little town that they're like they're in, really. Yeah, I got to say, like, way to raise the promo bar there on us. Oh, <laughs> like, hell yeah. That was a staggering promo, one of our best ones yet, I would say. So good job on that. I know those are hard to uh, to cut. So, um, no, I this is one I actually listened to, uh, gave a couple of episodes to listen before coming up here. And I got to say, they do a really good, uh, she does a really good job on the podcast. And I really like the, the music in it and the sound quality. It's spectacular. The sound effects uh, are not over the top. Sometimes they can be on other yeah. podcasts. Yeah. Uh, but this one, I feel like it just the right amount. Like in, I think maybe episode 1.5 or episode 2.5 or something like that, there was coins dropping in a little basket. And it, you know, it puts you right in the center of the cafe where the guy was paying for his hot beverage. Yeah. So keep up the good work, Poplar Cove. Thank you. Uh, we've had a few questions lately about why we tweet with a hashtag Potter and family. Uh, our Twitter is full of retweets of Potter and family hashtags. People are wondering about that. So I've set up, uh, found and set up a little promo from them. So let's give that a listen. Uh, so pay attention. What is the Potter and family? Hey, this is Shane. That's not Shane. That's a robot set by the government. And that's Kenny from I'm now. I'm a robot I'm, too. From now that I'm older. More like now that I'm robots. This is Gabriel Russo from the Hollywood Scandals of Yesteryear podcast. This is Steve from the Drift and Ramble podcast. This is Nick from the Epic Film Guys podcast. This is Emily from the Story Behind. This is Adam from Everyone Has a Podcast. This is Sean Harrigan from the Cinescape podcast. We are you. Podcasters coming together in a community to help one another grow. So follow us on Twitter at Potter Family and use the hashtag Potter Family in your tweets and retweet other people who do the same. Potter and Family, where great podcasts come home. So there you go. Uh, that's why we tweet and why we retweet Potter and Family hashtag uh, related podcasts and tweets and stuff. Uh, it's our little family. While it's not actually that little, there's actually like a ton of really cool podcasts, part of the community. If you're looking for new shows, I'd say to check them out on Twitter or on Facebook. Again, uh, the their Facebook page, uh, hashtag Potter and Family. If you have a show, so if you are a podcaster, use the hashtag, make sure to pin your most recent episode to your profile uh, on Twitter so that it gets retweeted. That's kind of one of the things that we do, easy to find, that kind of stuff. So check it out, hashtag Potter Family, all one word. Uh, Matt, we'd uh, we said that we'd stick to some format changes uh, and we'd either do a friend or foe or a top five each episode. Uh, you've put together something special for us uh, today, but it's also aligned with an announcement that you have. Yeah, um, I'm actually really excited to uh, let you all know about this. Um, I think I'm going to try to be, become a golf pro next year. Oh, a golf. Well, I mean, so you've talked to me quite a bit about golfing. You yeah. go golfing a lot. You've worked at golf courses. And I, last summer, like how many rounds did you play? Last summer I played like 35 rounds. I oh, uh, go. retired from grad school and uh, took, up, uh, took up golf in a serious manner. So why golf? Um, well, golf is, uh, for me, it's, uh, it's a nice wellness practice. It gets me outside. It's quiet. Um, I really like the balance between, um, you know, the thinking side and also the physicality and it's, um, I don't know. I've gotten to a place in my golf game where like, if I work really hard for a year, I could, uh, play in this, uh, playing test. Oh, oh. So like, I'll just explain. So this is to golf people. for money, right? It is. Um, so everyone's an amateur golfer, right? Unless you become a professional golfer. Um, in Canada, you have to work a certain amount of hours. Um, you have to do some like online modules, like pass a couple of tests about the rules of golf. 
And then you have to play in this thing called the playing test. And it's two rounds back to back, like uh, on two days. And you have to shoot a combined score of 15 over par. Over, okay. Well, yeah. you already shoot that now. Yeah, I'm right around like uh, like if I kept all <laughs> kept real score, I'd be like uh, a seven or an eight. Okay. So I'm right on the cusp. So that means I shoot like eight over par on per a, round. on a per round. Right. Um, but a good round, I can shoot down in like the three or four over par. And you know which course that you would play this at? Um, yeah, they would uh, notify us like well in advance, and then you so just you could sign practice up. At it, yeah. yeah, so we could play a couple of practice rounds. We'll go out together. Right. And maybe get you to caddy for me if you you like. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> so I need to like obviously I can't um, uh, work uh, right now. Um, so I'm going to have to. Uh, they have a provision actually, which is new, where you can make up your hours after you pl- pass the playing test. Oh, neat. So I can become a pro and then make up my and it's like five thousand hours. Whoa. Yeah, Whoa, so that's a lot of golf. So what I'm thinking, I'm making this big announcement because I need to like hold myself to account. Um, I I feel like if I announce it out on the podcast and um, kind of use the website maybe to track my scores and and show some things that I'm doing to improve my game, um, it will keep me on task. All right. Well, so, I'll uh, I'll definitely ask you about your golf game as we proceed. However, this is going into winter, so we'll figure out how to. Yeah. How to, how to golf during winter. Well, like the good thing about um, uh, golfing during the winter or lack thereof, um, you can really focus on your like exercise, your stretching and your nutrition. Right. So like in that spirit, I actually have a top five that I wanted to um, to read out for you. And it's my top five uh, cognitive nutritional uh, supplements. And I'm not talking pills that you have to buy from some store or website. I'm talking about foods that is going to improve your brain power. Awesome. So what do you got for us? Okay, so coming in at number five, I have chia seeds. Chia seeds. Ch- 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 chia. Ch- ch- chia. <laughs> yeah, the same ones actually. Um, chia seeds have thiamine, which is um, vitamin B one, and that helps you metabolize uh, sugars and proteins. And it also has niacin uh, B three, which uh, also helps you metabolize sugars. Um, I don't know why, but um, you get like crashes from sugar. So if you eat uh, chia seeds, your body absorbs it better and you don't get the crashes as much. Sweet. Um, number four is turmeric. Um, it's known in the research as curcumin. Um, it's an anti-inflammatory. It improves overall cognitive function, um, mood, behavior, memory, like everything uh, when it comes to the brain. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, it has something to do with its anti-inflammatory properties on the nerves. And there's really interesting research, and I have a link for it, on Alzheimer's um, uh, prevention, actually, and curcumin. Yeah, and a lot of people who have arthritis are told to take uh, curcumin. Yeah, it's becoming the the next superfood, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, So number three, I have pumpkin seeds. And why pumpkin seeds? Um, It contains a high uh, quotient of selenium. And selenium is a really important um, antioxidant that prevents cell death or cell loss. And it also, uh, selenium has been shown to reduce the effects of cognitive decline with age. Um, Brazil nuts actually has the most selenium, but your body doesn't actually need that much. So pumpkin seeds are a really good option. They're cheaper and they have a lower amount of selenium. So you don't like kind of waste your money just peeing out selenium all the time. (laughs) So could you take the pumpkin seeds from the pumpkins that you harvest and cut and uh, put out on your front porch around uh, Halloween? 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. And you should be able to, pumpkin seeds are like quite available at most grocery stores as well. Yeah, I've seen them. Um, so I was thinking with this list, like these things are readily available and they're not ridiculously expensive. Sweet. Um, so number two, and I think it's really important, it's become, it's rocketing up my uh, my list, um, is green tea. Oh uh, yeah. That's and, what we're drinking right now. Yeah. And the active ingredient in green tea, L-theanine, T-H-E-A-N-I-N-E. I had to look it up. Um, it's reaction with caffeine. Um, it makes it like supercharged. Oh. So if you do drink green tea, green tea already has caffeine, but don't get decaffeinated green tea. It's not as uh, effective on the cognition. Hold on. So green tea has caffeine? I thought green tea didn't. Yeah. Green tea has a little bit of caffeine and it's like natural caffeine. Oh. But if you want to really supercharge green tea, have a couple of cups of green tea and then have a small cup of coffee. Wow. And then it'll supercharge it. I have a study tip, there that yeah. actually looks at the connection between L-thionine and uh, caffeine. Really neat. Wow. Yeah. And then number one, the most important thing to improve your cognitive function is fish oils. And I'm talking omega-3 and 6. Don't mess around with 9 and 12. Mm. Um, your body produces 9 on its own. Uh, 3 and 6 are the most important. Um, omega-3 improves uh, cognitive function as well as cardiovascular function. Omega-6 um, improves cell membrane. Um, it, like, it repairs cell membranes. Right, yeah. So just like selenium, um, they can work in combination with each other. Two really good sources. Fish oils are a little bit, they're expensive. And they're, you can buy them at any health food store. And most grocery stores are now carrying fish oil. Make sure you get it from a, a wild source. Don't get farmed um, fish oil. It's just it's got toxins in it. Um, but if you want, if you're a vegan or a vegetarian, um, I recommend hemp seeds. Um, especially if you're in Canada, we grow hemp, um, Americans, it's largely illegal to grow hemp in America. So they're quite expensive down South, but here in Canada, they're becoming cheaper and you're starting to see hemp in a lot of things. I love hemp. They taste like oily potatoes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that's my top five. That's awesome, Matt. Um, Thanks, man. I hope that helps people. Yeah, no, I think like, uh, I've learned a lot, uh, just by that brief little (laughs) top five. Um, but you did ask me to put a top five list together. Yeah, now I approached sure. it a little bit differently than you. So I didn't do a lot of, uh, you know, more research on it. And uh, I think this really shows kind of our different approaches to health and things that we take for our health. Yours was much more uh, heady, if you, you know, if I can oh, use that sure. word. Yeah, please uh, do. <laughs> mine, uh, as you've mentioned to me, actually, you made me think about it, uh, much more related to sleep. Yeah, you know, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, my sleep patterns have varied widely throughout the years uh, from insomnia to, you know, oversleeping, uh, you know, not being able to get out of bed to, you know, getting maybe an hour asleep uh, a night for like, you know, three, four months and then crashing. Oh, that's brutal. Um, In the literature, they'll call it sleep hygiene. That's yeah. the new term for it. And my issue is not falling asleep. It's sleeping too much. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. We both have sleep issues. But they're almost like opposite in some way. Yeah. So uh, my two notable mentions for the top five cognitive nutritional supplements slash things that we do Sleep for hygiene. ourselves. <laughs> uh, so uh, the first one that I have is coconut oil. But uh, people uh, have allergies to coconut oil. Like uh, my wife has a severe allergy to all things coconut. So you have to be careful. Would it be people with like tree nut allergies no, or something? No, she doesn't have a tree nut allergy. Oh, it's just coconut allergy. Okay. It's, uh, it's weird. So I haven't had coconut in the house. Uh, but I know that when I go to your place, the uh, dollop of that in the coffee, mm. yeah. uh, another notable mention, good coffee. Why I say yeah. good coffee, because you take two cups of Joe in the morning and you're good. 
if you're drinking shitty coffee, you're going to have five, six, seven cups. And then you're so going to have too much, right? So true. So I prefer a good dark roast, a good French, uh, maybe roast, something like that. Nice and flavorful. Uh, I don't care if you put cream or milk in it or sugar or whatever, but just make sure it's a good blend. Like don't, uh, unfortunately, I, I'm going to say it. Don't get the Tim Hortons stuff to make oh, at home. God. The no. Tim Hortons stuff made at home is not, it's not gross. good. Yeah. It's uh, not good. I do have a note on, uh, I heard this on some podcasts, like some coffee expert said, um, dark roasts have less caffeine in it. So if you're looking to pair it up with like a green tea, um, uh, go for yeah, like a well, medium or go. light roast. Yeah. yeah. So my number five, uh, lavender tea, lavender essential oil, lavender iPads, just anything lavender. Yeah. Grow it sure. outside your window uh, of your uh, bedroom. Yeah. Lovely smells. Also helps you sleep. Yeah. Lavender. Grows we, like a weed too. So we have um, a diffuser. We'll do lavender oils in the diffuser, but we also make it into like a little spray, uh, sprayed on the, the sheets, sprayed on the pillowcases. It's lovely lavender. Uh, my fourth one, Scandinavian baths. So get out there, uh, find your, your, you know, a place that does Scandinavian baths. What makes it Scandinavian? You do a hot bath for a while and then you jump into a cold waterfall yeah, or a cold yeah. bath or something like that. Yeah. I and know then, the and then, local one he's talking about, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah it's, and then, it's and then glorious. You, and then, I so, enjoy that. So too. you do that and you know, there'll be directions on the wall for how long you have to stay and all that stuff. And then you just go relax, you just go sit, read, whatever. Uh, I'll even bring work to do there, but just the act of going from the hot to the cold, like gives you a jolt. Makes you feel so Dude, much more alive. Last time I went, I took a two and a half hour nap in public, like just yeah, in, yeah, a, yeah. in a like a hammock, I guess. Yeah. So that's good. Uh, my number three, rum or whiskey in moderation. So why am I saying this? Because when you soothe the soul, sometimes in our in our lives, like uh, for most people, if you drink alcohol, um, you're you know you're going to need that. You don't want to go into withdrawal if you don't mm-hmm. have it, whatever. And I'm saying in moderation. This isn't getting drunk. This is Finding a rum or whiskey that you really love, uh, something that you enjoy the taste, getting a nice glass, the whole process of pouring the, the it, consuming it. it, the ritual yeah. of it, it will just calm you right yeah. down. Like libations. If you're, if you're into uh, rums or whiskeys or that sort of thing, go for it. If you're not, find something else that you can do that to. That could be preparing a tea that way, you know, special mugs, that sort of stuff. It's in the ritual of it. It will just mm-hmm. calm you right down, maybe before bed, maybe whatever. So my number three, sleep. So once you do all those things, make sure you get a good night's sleep. Cannot, you know, find ways to sleep, you know, maybe changing a bed, uh, getting, uh, you know, weighted sheets are coming back uh, mm-hmm. in, a, in a way to kind of comfort you, uh, get a good pillow, that kind of stuff, but you need your sleep. And then the number one thing uh, that I find that I do for myself, uh, drink plenty of water. Yeah. Uh, proper hydration proper hydration yeah. really important you can overdo it on the water too and especially if you're having sleep problems man you might like wake up to go take a leak or something and i'm noticing i'm only i'm turning 35 soon but i'm starting to notice like oh maddie's getting up to go take a pee like an old yeah, man yeah i do it too uh, <laughs> it's like troubling man so it happens when you become old yeah when i do that i look at my gray hair in the mirror at the same time <laughs> oh boy i don't even turn on the light anymore i don't want to see what's going on uh matt this is going to be a great episode um if you, as a listener, have questions, comments, concerns, or recommendations, maybe for a top five list, uh, maybe fun words that we could use, uh, or maybe for ways not to be bitten on the outside when we get out there, here's how you can reach us. On Twitter at the underscore S-I-M underscore P-O-D. On Facebook at The SimPod. You can send us an email to semi-intellectual at gmail.com. Our website with all the archives of the show is thesim.podbean.com. We are on Apple Podcasts, uh, which is like iTunes and that kind of stuff. Uh, Stitcher, Google Play, Player FM, 
Listen Notes, iVox, Overcast, the Podbean Player, Beyond Pod, and well, like, you know, pretty much any podcatcher uh, you can use. So subscribe, please, to get all the latest episodes. Uh, in the future, we're going to have some mini bonus stuff that's going to come out. So if you're not subscribed, you're going to miss it. Uh, so subscribe. Also, uh, you know, if you're feeling a little down and blue, can't handle life hurdles, uh, think of us. Head over to our Facebook page. Leave us a review on uh, that page at The Simpod. We've already gotten a few that uh, say that we're great. So read those. Think that they're talking about you. That will just cheer you right up, you know? And then take a bath. Go for a long walk. Listen to another one of our episodes. Our voices probably won't help you, but the overwhelming feeling of helping us will. So think of us when you're down and blue. And really, uh, we thank future you for doing that. So thank you. Thank Uh, you. Thank you. Uh, Let's get on with the show. Let's get it on. Welcome back to the show. This is Semi Intellectual Musings. I'm your co-host, Philip Primo, and I'm joined by... Matt Sanderson. Today, we're going to be talking about Hockey Night at the Museum. Yes, folks, I had myself a little Hockey Night at the Museum. Uh, But first, uh, its towering white cement walls can be seen for blocks in either direction. Its slanted architecture leaves everyone a little puzzled, dizzy, and wondering really how to access the parking lot. But once inside... The majestic hallways are littered with half-empty boutiques selling flags and books and stuffed animals that may or may not exist, like giraffes and tigers. Narwhals are real. Don't patronize me today, Matt. But it (laughs) is the glass, tiny maple leaf jars filled with sweet Canadian-made sustenance, maple syrup. That's pretty much the first thing you notice when you walk in. Then the line to get in on free Thursday evenings, am I right? Yeah. People line up here. It's Canada. Sorry, uh, yeah. was that a little rude? Meh. No, no, we did so, so politely. Once inside, though, uh, our supposed history, the history that apparently defines the Canadian nation, is proudly sprawled out and displayed. The stuff we want to hide isn't, of course. It's museum, Matt, not a history class. So before we slide down the rabbit hole of hockey at the museum, uh, first of all, why is there an exhibit at the Canadian Museum of Civilization, as it was once called? Today, it's called the Museum of History, Right. So why is there hockey at this museum? Well, Phil, I went to find out, actually. (laughs) Good. Yeah, no. uh, So first off, like, it used to be called the Museum of Civilization, and it's known as the Anthropology Museum. So I like to think of it as my own personal museum. Just for you. So, like, when I was walking up, it's a very imposing architecture. As you say, parking is um, a mystery. It's somewhere. somewhere. Yeah, you always walk by it when you've already found uh, legal parking on the street, which I did. Exactly. Yeah, I parked right in front of a parking meter that had a no parking sign, like, right over top of it. And it's Gatineau, so who? I'm like, everyone else is doing it. No one else has tickets. So when I found my parking lot uh, spot, I walked down a couple blocks, go through the front door, um, wave at the... Um, woman at the front and say, yep, it's free Thursday. It's free Thursday. <laughs> Keep on walking down. And uh, yeah, I go down the long hallway. And the first thing I actually see is um, uh, a nice display dedicated to the 1972 Summit Series, which and when it comes to Canadian history and Canadian hockey history, like we 
sadly say this was our contribution to the Cold War. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> did we do anything else? Dude, we, and we eked out that like victory, like by the skin right, of our teeth. Yeah, so yeah. I, I took a picture of uh, Paul Henderson's famous uh, stick where he scored the winning goal and Sweet. also uh, Trechiak's uh, Coho uh, stick. You'll be happy to know he used Coho. Um, so yeah, I walk- Canadian company. Yeah, so I um I walk into the um the special exhibit um wing, and uh, the first thing I see is a big plaque that uh, I just took a picture of because it it kind of summed up what this exhibit was supposed to be. Okay. So I got a little quote here for you. For Canadians, hockey is more than just a game. It is a national and personal passion, regardless of geography or language, age or background. Canadians everywhere play hockey. They watch, read, and wear it, too. Hockey's memorable moments are closely connected to the history of Canada itself. Okay, but what, what does that mean, hockey's memorable moments are closely connected to the history of Canada itself? I mean, I know this is part marketing uh, for the exhibit. Like, any museum will want to play up the theme that they're trying to, uh, to sell, connect it to wider kind of social-cultural connections. But hockey is something I feel is different. Like... It's not just any sport. It's not physical fitness that they're telling us. It's very particular. So uh, I guess, like, to, to kick us off, uh, like, um, what did they say on this? Like, like I want to hear what you think. What, why is this so important? Um, why hockey is so important? Or Yeah, well, like, wh- why are they saying that, you know, hockey's memorable moments are closely connected to the history of Canada? So if you are sensing some puzzlement in my voice, that's because I was puzzled when I walked in and I was puzzled when I walked out. Okay. I actually don't know what the point of this exhibit was other than a chronological history of Canada's major moments in hockey. Okay. That is essentially what it was. And for that, it's uh, honestly, like, for a little bit of a history class, it, it wasn't bad. Um, they had... Like, you know, they included women at a disrespectful, like, sort of 20%. Um, there was a couple Yeesh. of honorable mentions of, like, um, ethnic players, you know, racial others. Um, but for the most part, it was a straightforward uh, history. And in that sense, it was, it was cool because they had a lot of memorabilia. But in terms of, like, overriding themes, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what oh, the message yeah. was. They said sorry a lot, actually, which was kind of funny. I never, that just popped really? in my head, man. Yeah, they, there was a couple, like, when they talk uh, right off the front when you walk in, um, there's three jerseys. Um, two of them are from women hockey players, and one is from um, this guy last name Kwong. Um, I have uh, uh, photos of these. Uh, he was the player who broke the color barrier in okay. 1948 yeah, yeah. for the New York Rangers. Um, and uh, on the plaque beside it is sort of like, Hockey hasn't done the best job of being inclusive, but we're trying now. Like right, it was sort yeah, of that sentiment. Yeah. And then it was that way, whenever it was anything like politically touchy, there was sort of like a weak apology. And then, okay, let's move on. Oh, let's and look carry at, on. Let's look at the Habs. Okay. So I think you've started to touch on it a little bit, Matt, but the question of who is included, who is excluded from histories is important. Uh, how does the museum do that in this particular case? Like uh, I'm thinking, who do they show as being part of hockey? Yeah, and I like that you're um, asking me this right up front because that was the first thought I had when I walked in. I'm like, I'm going to see how many women are represented, how many people of color are yeah, represented, yeah. and just sort of make notes on that. So I actually have a lot. There's, aside from Larry Kwong and um, an African-Canadian uh, hockey player um, where there was no real explanation of what his contribution was, um, it was kind of tucked in the back. Um, those were kind of the only two people of color that I saw represented, which was a shame. 
Um, and then when it comes to women, there is definitely a lot more representation. So as I said, right up front, there is um, two jerseys of female uh, hockey players, and I would call them like hockey outfits. Like they're kind of like pantaloons and stuff like okay. this. They're kind of like girly, but uh, very early. They're probably from like the 20s. Oh, wow. Um, when you get past that and Larry Kwong's uh, um, Trail Smoke Eaters uh, jersey was uh, included in the same display as the two women, which is an interesting yeah. coupling there. And then you go into the next section and it's the Toronto Maple Leafs on your left and the Montreal Canadiens on the right. Wow. And um, yeah, it's like they had sounds from the forum and stuff. And then you get into the main section of the museum. Um, the middle section, which was like the big open section, that's where you see most of the women. Um, Haley Wickenheiser was there. Uh, Phil's old girlfriend from back in the day. Uh, remind Manon me. Rayon, yeah. There she is. There she is. Um, she had this awesome like cutout of her in like her goalie stance and okay. uh, her Olympic jersey from 1998. Um, Haley Wickenheiser was there, as I said. There was also uh, one jersey from a sledge hockey uh, player okay. uh, right by Haley Wickenheiser's. And then you go into the third and final sort of section of the museum uh, display. And uh, in there, um, Shania Twain's sparkly outfit that she wore when she sung an anthem. Yeah, the national anthem that one time. Um, There's an indigenous woman um, uh, who was wearing a Calgary Flames jersey. And I don't know if she's their routine anthem singer there. She's Cree. Um, And then there is two other women who uh, was in the people who contributed to like, uh, they're called the game changers. Okay. So they took on political issues. There's two women in there. One was from the 1980 and the other was from uh, the mid eighties. There was zero explanation on what they did. Uh, one of them had a sort of a memorial scholarship kind of award uh, with her name on it. No explanation about what it is that oh, these women did. And they're supposed to be in this section and they're right with um, Sheldon Kennedy who right, yeah. um, famously um, was uh, molested as a, a, a youth hockey player, um, and then he rollerbladed across the country to raise awareness and money. Yeah, it's come out pretty strong. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting that you're talking about this because as a science and technology scholar myself, so someone who's interested in the relations between like humans and non-humans, uh, basically stuff and things, um, you know, what, you know, it always piques my interest to know what sort of stuff is on display. And, you know, what I mean by this is like, how does the museum represent what hockey is through stuff? Because when I think of hockey, I think of ice, um, I think of pucks, uh, I think of sticks, but also the places I've watched hockey. So there's like a very particular smell that is found in an arena, like, you know, especially early in the morning, we're all going to remember that smell. And there's like a very particular sound of a Zamboni. Uh, Those things represent hockey more to me than seeing, you know, stories of uh, old players, for example. Um, so do they try to recreate this at the museum or represent this in any way? It's funny, man. Like, it's not something that I would have looked for. And it's not until you're actually asking me right now that now my memory is being jogged. Um, so in terms of sounds, when I went into that main section where Haley Wickenheiser and Rayom's jersey was, um, they had uh, sort of um, like skates cutting through ice sound, um crowd burst cheers um and then the main section of it was um designed like an ice surface so it was white like floor and then there was boards surrounding it and then displays all around it and then on a um screen over top they were playing like famous plays from canadian hockey history okay so when i was there they happened to show daryl sittler's uh 10 point game 
or the oh, yeah. Maple Leafs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they also showed the Gretzky Lemieux um, Canada Cup goal from yes. like the mid 80s. Yeah, yeah. Um, famous, moments, right? Yeah. So I took snaps and pictures. Um, what I did notice um, was uh, that kids were running through it screaming, I shot, I scored, or he shoots, he scores, she right, shoots, she right. scores. And they're just having the time of their life listening to the ambient sounds going on and responding to it as we used to do playing like road hockey oh, and neat, ca- yeah. calling our own commentating out. So, yeah. um, and then finally, just on the sounds, I got into the last section and when I walked in, out of nowhere, I hear Don Cherry's voice and I oh, got like boy. the shiver goosebumps. So, oh, really? Yeah, like that, in a good way? No, not in a good way. I was like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. And there was also, um, bum, 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 over the, by the, the yeah. iconic CBC Hockey Night in Canada theme yeah. song. Yeah, it was over by the like awesome jackets from the 70s, man. <laughs> so that all sounds like really good inclusions. It was uh, actually, yeah. For in terms of like ambient, like sensorial inclusion, yeah, yeah. I thought they'd actually did a really good job. And did they miss anything? Like, would you have wanted something more? Um, it would have been interesting. I'm not sure if they, it just ha- didn't happen to be in the loop, but I did snap a picture of the Punjabi um uh, announcer uh, for CBC. Yes, um, very important in Canada right now. Super important, really important to my friends back home as yeah. well. A lot of their like aunts and uncles, grandparents, they got into hockey because of him. Um, I would love to have seen or heard some Punjabi commentating or French commentating. I was, right, yeah. it was pretty Anglo heavy, bro. You would, yeah. it would have been something you noticed for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Matt, growing up, I watched pro hockey mainly on TV. I had the chance to go to the Forum in Montreal a few times to watch some games, uh, and I've been to the new Montreal Arena a few times as well. I've been to a dozen games in Ottawa, Toronto, even New York City, but these are pro-level. Um, you know, I, I, I think I've watched much more amateur or semi-pro uh, hockey at local arenas than I have pro uh, hockey. So like Major Juniors, for example, I've been to, you know, I think maybe over 100 games in the Major Juniors. Um, I also played in minor divisions up to junior and then in some men's beer leagues, you know, the 35, 40 plus or whatever. And of course, pick up at the outdoor rinks whenever I can. Uh, So most hockey, I feel, happens at these amateur levels. Uh, Does the museum capture that, if at all? Okay, so I can see that they put an effort into doing so. I was, um, I'm a huge fan of the World Junior Championship. Yeah. I remember watching the World Juniors before I even really started watching NHL. Yeah. Like I go way back. It's fast. It's exciting hockey. So right? exciting, right? And you get to see the future stars. So um, like I couldn't see any World Junior stuff. Really? Yeah, there's none. Even if uh, Team Canada has done exceptionally well? No, in, the the, in terms of Team Canada stuff, it was Canada Cup stuff. That was what they would call like a international championship in the 80s or Olympics. Okay, so they did have Olympic stuff. Yeah, there. they did. And, uh, and we'll talk about that. But in terms of, um, so community level youth, um, the third and final section of the museum, that was the wing that was d- dedicated to this stuff. So um, I mentioned the the two influential women before. I just sort of dug up their names here so I can mention them and get them their due. Um, so you can look them up as well. One is uh, Manon Chaplow, uh, C-H-A-P-L-E-A-U. Sorry, Phil. Um, <laughs> and she um, she was from 1980. And Justine Blaney, B-L-A-I-N-E-Y. And she was from 1987. Um so they have those mentions, and then they also would talk about hockey's importance at the community level, but it was more in an esoteric sort of like high-level way. It wasn't really like like youth players or community hockey. Right. Another thing I was 
sad to not see is um, senior level hockey, which used to be a big thing back in like mm-hmm. the 70s. Yeah, yeah. My dad would always talk about senior hockey, big in Quebec, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there was no real mention of that. Um, I will say uh, Kilray, the former coach of the Ottawa 67, he had his leather jacket there and a Memorial Cup trophy that they won. Um, and he is really noted for his like outstanding charitable work. So they did have a nice display about like charitable contributions, but it was like, there was no explanations. Right. Like I wanted details, especially if like, this is what the exhibit is supposed to be about. It's like, why is hockey important to us as a nation and as a people? Like I want to, I want to like learn some stuff. Yeah. Like, um, it's comparable. I think the way that you're describing it, uh, to the Yankees museum in New York, uh, city. Um, oh really? I, because I when you walk through the Yankees Museum, it has a bunch of stuff. It has sounds. It has all sorts of things. Like there's a mound set up right in the middle, um, and I felt like there wasn't that much explaining of the story behind it. It was here's a bat, here's a glove, here's a, a ball. Right? Um, that kind of sounds like what you're explaining to me. Here's a, a picture, uh, a cup. Uh, th- this person's important. Move on. Right? Yeah. So before we move on, um, maybe talk about Olympic stuff. Uh, I do want to give a a shout out to uh, Pat Burns, the famous coach, and uh, Roger Nielsen, um, the famous coach for Vancouver. And then he ended his career in Ottawa. Um, Both men did a lot for charity. um, And I think they deserve an honorable mention. Yeah. And they had displays at the museum as well, right? Yeah. They have really cool displays like Roger Nielsen clearly like yelling at some ref and Pat Burns also yelling, yelling at the ref. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're both like just pointing and yelling. It was great. It was like where they should be like perfectly right. in place. Uh, so you brought up the Olympics. You talked a little bit about it before, uh, but let's dig a little bit deeper into it. Uh, how are the Olympics represented at the exhibit? Yeah. So it was kind of interesting that uh, I didn't think about it until literally just right now that the Olympic sort of pickup picked up in the mid eighties when uh, either the Canada Cups were going on, the World Championships, where you started having NHL players, or the very first time that women were um, allowed to compete right, yeah, internationally. Right. So, like, did they retrace the history of the kind of Canadian involvement in the Olympics? Or was it more or less kind of like a, an, you know, a nod to nationalism? Yeah, well, they definitely did not go back into like like the 20s or something like the early olympic games right um and they definitely did a good job of focusing on when women and female hockey uh entered the uh, international competition you know i'm gonna i'm gonna move us away a little bit from these levels of discussion because i i want to kind of dig into this notion of nationalism a little bit more but it seems to me like this whole thing so far has been revolving around portraying hockey as something uniquely canadian But as we know, Canada, like many countries, is one of regionalism. Hockey in rural Saskatchewan is different than hockey in urban Vancouver, and that is different than hockey in Toronto, and that is very much different than hockey in northern Quebec or the northern territories. Or maybe it's not. Uh, Matt, walk us through the messages that you got from the displays and the stories that the museum was trying to tell about this regional kind of aspect uh, to hockey. Okay, so regionalism, that uh, is the name of the game here. Um, I really picked up on this when I was walking through and I took some notes. Um, I noticed right off the bat, of course, there's a ton of Maple Leafs and Canadians memorabilia. Yeah. Um, that's just because they're the two Canadian teams for the longest time. Um, but I did notice that there was much more Toronto Maple Leafs than Montreal Canadiens. Really? So I did make a mental note just to share that with really? Phil over here. Interesting. Um 
In terms of the maritime, so that's the east coast of Canada, so Newfoundland, Prince Edward Islands, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia. Um, Labrador. And Labrador, don't forget. <laughs> um, they, uh, right up at the front, um, the oldest hockey stick is from Cape Breton, actually. Wow. And they had right beside uh, the oldest hockey stick was an old uh, Mi'kmaq uh, knife, that, and it was like a particular curved blade that they would use to fashion these hockey sticks out of the tree root like the roots of old trees like old oak trees wow yeah and that's that's really neat yeah i thought that was fascinating something that's from new brunswick uh, moncton new brunswick yeah and they um i took a picture of it and it belonged to some like boy like i think his nickname was willie or something right (laughs) it's like willie's hockey stick um so i thought that was pretty cool um and then very little until you get to Sidney crosby of course cole cole harbour's native son um um, but then I also made a note, uh, there was only one Quebec Nordiques jersey Just and, one? and that was jammed off in the corner, oh, man. It no. was such an afterthought. There was a wall of pucks, like a, some thing that some guy made, um, about all the teams in like the mid nineties. And then right beside it was the Quebec Nordiques. And I took a couple of pictures. It, was, it looked like such an afterthought, man. Wow. Um, I also found that there was very little, if anything, um, about, uh, the prairies, so the the middle of Canada for those who aren't from really? Canada, and then also very little on uh, West Coast involvement, um, like nothing that I could really see other than this guy Kwong um, about Asian um, um, Asian Canadian involvement right, on right. the West Coast, which is obviously a big deal. Japanese Canadians played hockey. Like now crazy. there's a famous, famous, famous player from Floral, Saskatchewan. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, he was displayed prominently. Um, we know him as uh, Gordy Howe, Mister Hockey. Mister Hockey. Um, yeah, he was in there. Not as much as actually, not as much as I thought he would be. Okay. Like there was like a display for Gordy Howe, but I think because he played for the Red Wings, like they, I don't know, they didn't like the look of it or something. I hmm. I would expect Mister Hockey to be displayed a lot more prominently. He holds the record for people who don't know of playing in the most decades. Like I think he played like. Something ridiculous, like five or six decades. <laughs> so if I read between the lines, uh, they approached it, or they tried to approach it by recognizing regionalism. Yeah. Uh, Canadian but, national regionalism, though. Uh, yeah. 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 So the overwhelming theme to that is that we are united uh, as Canada under hockey. Yes. And when we say united as Canada, right. like who do we mean? And uh, what about the indigenous people of Canada? <laughs> uh, glaring omission. Glaring omission. The hockey stick is interesting and neat. Yeah, yeah. And that's um, that's a but that's an artifact. Well, this is it, right? Yeah, it's uh, like an old old knife or whatever. Right? It would be kind of akin to finding like a you know like a frozen lump of poop. Yeah, like a and saying, light. hey, they used to play hockey with this. <laughs> Anthropolite. <you know? laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, um, I dug up uh, her name, the uh, hopefully anthem singer from Calgary, uh, Akina uh, Shirt is her name. Um, and then throughout, there was like um, a wall with like one women's te- team, women's team, and then maybe five indigenous teams around. And that was from, it looked like, like the 1810, or 1910s rather. I took a picture of it. And then... Um, no Jordan Tutu, for example, because I remember mm. him at World Juniors. Like, that was like, oh my goodness, like, indigenous people also play this game. Right, and yeah. that was in, like, I don't know, like the mid 2000s. So, um, yeah, there were just, there just wasn't a lot. There was, oh, there was one statue made by an Inuit artist um, of, like, a person playing hockey. And it's like, okay. you know, Inuit art. Um, and that was pretty much it. 
Okay, so they kind of tried. Um, this brings us into you know, if you're just gonna kind of sorry, if you're yeah. just gonna kind of try, maybe you don't even try at all. Well, just that... make it like Canada. Uh, hockey, Canada's white game. Well, well, this is kind of where, I, where, where I'm uh, going, Matt. So, like, uh, I think, you know, what we've been talking about gets to social cultural aspects of hockey. So it moves beyond kind of the game and its history. Uh, we've been pointing to a lot of this as, we, as we've been talking, but I want your critiques here. Uh, what did they fail at? What aspects uh, do you think they messed up? Uh, or maybe, uh, you know, something that they could have done a little bit better, but really... Let's try to unpack some of the assumptions underlying these fails that they have, for lack of a better term, you know? Okay, so I've mentioned it a few times, but they really lacked, um, like, I call them explanatory plaques, but basically those descriptions next to a display that explains the display. Um, some of it, I imagine they thought we would know who these people were. Right, so yeah, the assumption there is that we all, we were just going to know who this person yeah. is, right? and so like for Sheldon Kennedy, for example, that was a huge story here in Canada. Um, and he had a full like explanation right. for his plaque, but everybody knows that story. Right. And he's right next to two women who I don't know their story. And I know a shitload about hockey and a lot about right. hockey history. And I've so never they heard of these two women. Their story could have been told. Yeah, totally. Um, I will say, um... Darnell Nurse, I believe he plays for Edmonton still. He might have been traded, but um, he had uh, some photos and his sticks um, with uh, pride tape around oh, it. Okay. And I thought that was a really interesting inclusion. It was right next to Sheldon Kennedy and these two women all within the oh, same neat. display. Okay. So that's kind of um, like the, uh, I would call that like the diversity section of the exhibit. God, it's weird to have. Um, it's, it's weird saying a, that. But... A, well, it's also weird to have a guy who was molested right next to a pride stick and then two women right in between them. I think that in terms of politics of representation, as we would call it in like anthro yeah. museum studies, um, that was something that like I wasn't okay with. I left. Right. I'm like that. That wasn't enough explanation, and it was a weird placement there. Right. And um, it was placed like um, spatially when you walk into that third room, and then it's like the quick right hand wall that's right there. So you're going to walk right by it unless you stop, turn a 180, and then look at it. Right. So it's like tucked in the most un visual visible place rather right uh okay so we've been we've been hammering on this a little bit throughout so far about stuff that we didn't do uh what are some things that uh, you thought they did do well uh that you wouldn't have expected to see there okay so there was um i really got a kick out of the equipment actually i didn't think i would like because i you know i know the evolution of hockey equipment but i took a picture of uh, gary cheever's mask he was like my favorite, like old school goalie. He has this famous mask. It looks like a kind of like a Jason mask. Like yeah, the, the scary one. Yeah, the yeah, scary one. And then it has like stitches all over it, right? Right. And yeah. right next to it was Jacques Plante's original mask. The famous, he's, the famous mask. He's the one who invented the goalie mask, which is crazy. So he's um, tired of losing his teeth and getting all his good looks getting all messed up. Yeah, I took a, I took like two or three pictures of the goalie pads as well, like the leg pads. Oh, yeah. Um, there was like some old horsehair pads, like the brown leather ones. And then at the end was like to show the evolution of goalie pads was uh, Sammy Jo Small, the uh, female goalie for Team Canada. She's famous. Um, her pads were there. And Neat. she's awesome. Go Sammy Jo Smalls. I've always been a fan of yours. Um, and then I also took some pictures of the hockey sticks. And again, like it's hockey sticks, like, it's not that interesting, right? All There's the, an evolution to them. The big evolution was they put a curve in it in the 60s, yep. and then they made it out of graphite aluminum in the 90s. Yep. That's what I, we were playing with. And um, and then now it's a composite sticks. But what was really fascinating was Sheldon Sore's stick. Mm-hmm. I took a couple oh, of pictures yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. It's got this like 
it, it must have been from like the playoffs because it just looked like it been to war, man. Right. Yeah. Um, and another fun little thing that I thought was a kind of a fun inclusion. Um, I'll just note it. Um, I took a picture of this Toronto Maple Leaf sweater, and it was all like ripped up with blood stains on oh, it, boy. and it was just like. That's what hockey used to be. So that was like the only mention, actually, interestingly enough, of hockey violence. Um, but yeah, it was um, overall, like I actually, for a guy who knows a lot about hockey, I actually did learn quite a few things. And you go in sometimes like as a cynical asshole like we are, um, uh, you go in like expecting them to like mess up on the the gendered representation or the representation of different ethnicities. Um, but you know, like, it's typical museum, women are underrepresented, but I did get a chance to learn about a number of female players that I had never even heard about before. Like, even these ones that didn't have an explanation, they're easy to Google, man. Like, I'll, I'm going to right. go home and Google them. Right. So you think, it, it like, more than lacking, um, you know, stories or whatever, it at least left you with uh, enough will or enough curiosity to go further with it. So to extend the exhibit outside of yeah. the museum walls. Yeah. And totally not what they were intending with the lack of explanations, right, but yeah. um, that's how I'm going to take it because um, you can leave just sort of pissed off or you can leave and be like, well, they didn't cover that enough. I better go learn some more because I'm, you know, I, and I did learn some things. So it was good in that sense, I think. All right. Uh, second to last question, uh, Matt, about the exhibit. Um, you've, you've talked about it a little bit, but I want to bring it back to it a little bit more pointedly. Uh, violence in hockey has been a hot topic recently. Uh, calls for banning fighting, for example, still ring loud, albeit I think they have been weakened a little bit, it seems to me anyway, like we're not really talking about all that much. Uh, but how was violence in the sport approached uh, at the museum? Uh, did you get a sense that there was an agenda regarding fighting or maybe uh, you know around concussions in the sport? or a sense that they wanted to revise the history of violence in hockey to fit a particular type of agenda. Okay, so there was definitely no, like, sort of what we would call tough guys. Like, there okay. was old-school hockey players who were used to be also tough, you know, like uh, like Tim Horton, for example, was, like, okay. a big, tough defenseman. But, like, but goons, guys who no were goons. hired to fight. Yeah, there's no goons. There was no imagery of hockey fights. Um, there was one helmet. Yeah, it's from a player named Ace Bailey, and he's the guy who essentially invented the hockey helmet. Um, and I'm pretty sure I'm right on this, but I think he got whapped over the head with a stick right. um, and almost died. Um, so that was a, you know, a signal to violence, but nothing in terms of fighting. So it was definitely a bit, um, when they talked about violence, it was dislocated. So I mentioned it before, but the riots uh, were um, in this yeah, hallway, yeah. and there was just this big plywood... Um, Board where famously uh, in the days after the uh, Vancouver riots in I think 2009 or something, um, people would write their messages of like hope and like Vancouver, we're not like this, blah, blah, blah. And then there was also the famous picture of the couple kissing yes. in front of the line of yes. like SWAT yep. team members yep. in Vancouver. Um, I was actually downtown <laughs> that night yeah. um, and I drunkenly stumbled out of my buddy's apartment where we watched the Canucks lose in the finals. And um, I'll tell you, man, the city was angry and sad at the same time. Yeah. And you yeah. can totally feel it in the air. Yeah. And you can just see people like, okay, boys, it's time to riot now. Yeah. And we did this once before in Vancouver in 1994. 
um, when we lost in the playoffs in the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, but there was only like just a mention of it on the placard there, and then they also mentioned uh, the Maurice Richard riots yes, in that's Montreal. The, the, so the that's Maurice the Richard famous. is the famous one. But yeah. Montreal has riots every season, yeah. almost yeah. around hockey. I, I mean, uh, I think it just shows that you're passionate. Yeah, well, it shows it shows something. <laughs> Stupid passion. It shows so- yeah. something. But I watched a riot from the top of a uh, a three story parking garage. It was actually really crazy to see uh, police horses marching down the streets in Vancouver. But so violence outside of uh, the arena is a reality for hockey. Uh, but violence inside on the ice uh, defines the sport. Uh, it always kind of has. Yeah. Uh, it defines rule changes throughout the history. It also defines equipment changes, as you've mentioned, the the hockey helmet. Uh, But it also defines how the game is played today. I would agree. And um, I think it's it's kind of fascinating. So one thing that jumped out from the exhibit was, um, so as we know, women's hockey is considered less violent, quote unquote. Right? No, like, quote unquote. Quote unquote. Quote unquote. Um, There's no, officially no body checking in women's hockey, but it can get pretty rough as well. Um, but they definitely cast women's hockey as like, hey, participation, inclusion, like nonviolence, right? right? It was all about like, hey, look, isn't this great? We gave women a chance to play hockey. Isn't that swell? Um, and then other than that, it was just sort of like they just kind of sanitized the violence out of hockey. Yeah. Other than that Maple Leafs jersey, which like I took two pictures of. It was crazy, man. It was all ripped right. up and bloody. Right. So uh, yeah. it was only sort of tangentially that they... They talked about violence, so you can totally see this process of like almost revising history. Well, you know, using that word gets me into my next point. Uh, oh, cool. We've been talking, <laughs> yeah, we've been talking around the point for a while now. But revisionist history is probably the best way to call what seems to be happening here. Uh, revisionist history being an attempt to rewrite historical occurrences to fit a particular theoretical narrative. In sociology, for example, revisionists have taken things like the taken for granted aspect of domestic work to tell the story of gender politics. The theoretical lens being one that female labor is widely unacknowledged, but uh, revisionism can go the other way. Uh, that is telling a version of history that omits certain elements rather than picking out certain ones that aren't talked about. Uh, so with that particular way of doing revisionism in mind, uh, how does this particular museum exhibit revise history? Uh, you've given us a few examples, but more, more precisely. Uh, and does it perform revisionism of hockey as a whole that, you know, also revises the history of Canada and Canadians. So if it purports to represent the history of Canada at the start and that Canada's history is hockey, how is this work of revisionism affecting, uh, you know, the narrative of Canada and Canadians? So um, I will give it credit for um, continuously noting the disinclusion of women and um, Indigenous people and racial minorities. Um, the museum exhibit itself didn't have a lot of inclusions, but they did note a few times that uh, there was, you know, social norms, cultural norms that, and you know, laws maybe uh, that would prevent these people from playing the game and participating. So I think what they did with um, sanitizing the violence out of it, and also emphasizing participation, like, hey, look, um, uh, hockey like associations across the country are making more effort to have, um, you know, whatever, women playing and stuff. Right. Um, but I think, so they did a double move. They sanitized the violence out of it and then upplayed the participation because every time they're like, hey, we didn't let women play, and we sure are sorry about that. Right. So the trope of Canadians being polite and well-mannered and, like, sorry about everything 
that was definitely like written right into the museum exhibit wow. itself. Wow. So do you think that that's kind of like um, from the curator's uh, kind of bias or maybe, uh, you know, unacknowledged kind of uh, self-representation that gets embedded in these displays or was it purposeful? I think it was purposeful. Yeah, for sure. It was a purposeful work of revisionist history, for sure. Um, but in that sense, like, again, they could have done more. Um, they they could have just had more stuff in there. Was, I found it to be a little bit, like, underwhelming. Okay. Um, but um, in terms of, like, making an effort, I don't like to come down super hard on places when you can see that effort has been made. Right, yeah. And we yeah. can just sort of do it better. Right. I think that was the... I I left thinking like this this could have been better, you know, but they're they're on the right track there. Now, one of the other kind of conceptions is that American hockey brings in more money than Canadian hockey. Yeah, uh, the U.S. Uh, is just um, like a piggy bank when it comes to NHL or even minor leagues for that matter. Uh, but they, yet, Canada is kind of the place where players come from. We're like the beating the breeding ground for good players, and they are where the money's made. Yeah, it's like hockey players are as Canada's number one export, essentially. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, there was a, it's interesting you put that up, uh, bring that up. Um, there was no mention to hockey being exported. Okay. It was like it's our game. Right. It belongs to us, okay. and we are the best at it. Okay. And don't you forget it, because that's the thing people don't know about Canadians. We may appear to be very polite. And well mannered, but we are fiercely patriotic, and we really care about the few things that are like truly ours. And as we see other nations getting better at hockey, um, I think that was one of the underlying messages. Actually, was oh. that proving that it's still our game? God damn it! It always really? has been. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I never really thought, thought of that. I never thought of that myself either. Yeah. So, really, in a way, that this exhibit would be kind of a response to maybe sentiment that our game, quote unquote, is being taken over. Yeah, for sure. And you see the NHL right now um, putting a lot of effort into um, breaking out into China. Um, the Canucks actually have an exhibition game in China this year, and they're trying to break out into the bigger market. So as you say, with the, the money involved, I think this exhibit really played up the sentimental Canadianness. Wow. Uh, last question for you. Sure. Uh, we've talked on the show and personally uh, about our interest in the history, politics, sociology, anthropology of sport. I think uh, that this episode has captured that interest uh, and really put it to work in a grounded way. So thank you, Matt, again, for going out into <laughs> the world, you know, where there's crazy smells and sounds <laughs> and uh, all those weird things. It's on your side of the river, brother. <laughs> it, it is in Gatineau, this museum. Uh, but thank you really for bringing us some astute, interesting observations. Thanks, uh, it was a lot of fun to hear you speak about your time at the museum, but before finishing up, uh, do you recommend this exhibit to our listeners? Should they head out with their families, their friends and spend a night, a hockey night at the museum? Um, yes, yes, I would. I wouldn't pay the full weekend price. I try to go on Thursdays and get all those discounts you can, but yeah, I would recommend it actually. I, I actually did learn quite a bit. So is it somewhere to bring your kids? Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's super kid-friendly. I forgot to mention um, there is, like, a area where you can try on, like, old pads and stuff like that. And oh, I saw sweet. a couple of, like, nine-year-old kids, like, having a blast with that. Now, the Hockey Hall of Fame is something else. That's another kind of exhibit yeah. run principally by the NHL. Yeah. Uh, it's very markety. I find. Yeah, for sure. Do you, did you think this one's more informative? More Is it more of a learning moment, or is it more of, like, a, I need to feel good about who I am as a Canadian you know, what kind of, why would you go there? <laughs> you know what, man? It was a uh, patriotic feel good learning. 
That's oh, what wow. it was. All of it. All yeah, of it. Patriotic feel good learning. <laughs> yeah. So, it was good. Yeah. It was, it was pretty informative. So, um, the Museum of Civilization rebranded, renamed Museum of History. Is this a success for them? Um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I think it will get a lot of, uh, visitors there for sure. All right. It's on until, uh, early October. So for another month oh, cool. uh, and a bit, you can go check it out. Uh, and it's put on by the museum itself. So collections, uh, from them, but also Library and Archives Canada and a lot of, uh, private, private funds, funds yeah. uh, have contributed, uh, the artifacts, uh, the stories, the pictures, etc. So, uh, head on down the Museum of History in Gatineau. Look for the huge, weird, white architectural building. <laughs> Try to find parking, uh, and you'll get it. It's free on Thursdays from 5 to 9 or 5 to 8. 5 to 9, yeah. Um, thank you, Matt. Yeah, no worries. Been I, had awesome a, I had a blast. Uh, if you have questions, concerns, comments, or recommendations for us, you can reach us on Twitter at the underscore SIM underscore POD, on Facebook at the SimPod. You can send us an email at semiintellectual at gmail.com our website with all the archives to the show and where we're going to throw up some pictures that Matt was talking about is uh, thesim.podbean.com also make sure to head on over to our Facebook page at The Sim Pod leave us some reviews on uh, the show what you thought Uh, you'll see a little thing select five stars well you can select less but you know we all want more stars, don't we? Don't do that to us. Uh, we're, please subscribe also to the show on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, Player FM, all those things, any podcatcher of your choice. We're going to be soon uh, setting up some quick, you know, five to ten minute little bonus sort of uh, episodes, mini-sodes. So you, if you want to get in on that as soon as they're released, make sure to subscribe. We're going to take a break. When we come back, like always, some recommendations. Hockey the best game you can name and the best game you can name is the good old hockey game oh the good old hockey game is the best game you can name and the best game you can name is the good old hockey Boys together playing hockey all day Put the sticks in the middle and you toss them either way Put two logs on either side and we'll use them for the net I put the jersey on that I got for Christmas We've all been Gretzky on the mule before Or if you played the point then you played as Bobby Orr You set the lines up and use the bucket for the band Then the coach said Welcome back to the show, everyone. Uh, some intellectual musings here. We have some recommendations for you, and uh, our custom kind of has been that Matt kicks us off, so let's continue that. Matt, what do you got for us this I'm week? ready to go, buddy. Um, okay, I got two recommendations. First, uh, surprise, surprise, is a podcast. Uh, more podcasts. <laughs> uh, this one's called Writing Excuses. Okay. I so, have a lot of those. Yeah, no, we all do, buddy. Um, so this is hosted by three people. 
Um, it's I started downloading because I thought it was a podcast about procrastination for writers, but it actually goes way beyond that. So I'll just read off a few kind of uh, titles of episodes: uh, structuring a short piece, how to be how to be brief yet powerful, um, short fiction markets, uh, what makes a good monster. Um, trimming and, and ex- trimming and expanding. So it actually kind of so, sounds like ways that could help. Yeah, right? yeah, and it's um it's geared I think to fiction writers. Um, so yeah. but as you can see from some of these titles, you can adapt them easily Absolutely. to nonfiction. I'm recommending this because I know there's a couple of new Facebook friends out there who are trying to get into writing for the first time. This is a great way to like kind of prime yourself and to go on go along with this podcast. I am going to recommend short science fiction. Ooh, like as a category again, Matt, yes. what is short science my, fiction? As you hear my chair squeak, yeah, short science fiction. I've just, I never really read short fiction before. I've um, always been a fan of science fiction. And I find that science fiction writers do short fiction so well because uh, oftentimes, especially back in like the 50s, 60s, and 70s, they would write for these sort of magazines and they would write short pieces for it. So um, I've really just started getting into this whole genre and short fiction. So I feel like other people can start with science fiction. Short right. science fiction, yeah. All right. Well, that's that's neat. Uh, short science fiction. It kind of ties into my recommendation. Seriously, uh, I don't watch a lot of TV, as you know. We don't have a TV. That's right. Uh, however, uh, I am going to recommend a Netflix original, uh, Luke Cage. Oh, I love Luke Cage, man. That's a good one. Yeah. So, uh, Luke Cage, made by Netflix. It came out uh, a year ago, so September thirtieth, twenty sixteen. So, uh, you know, it's appropriate for me to be talking about it now, <laughs> a year later. Uh, Chio Hadari Coker is, uh, the co-creator of that. And it's based on the Marvel comic books, uh, you know, the defenders, Luke Cage, uh, that kind of stuff. It stars, uh, Mike Coulter, Simone Mizik, Mahershala Ali, and Theo Rosie. Matt, it is the wire of 2016 or 2017. It, it uses a lot of the same characters as the wire. It is absolutely fantastic in its storytelling. It's Luke Cage, bulletproof. Big ass, mean, you know, whatever. Um, son of a gun. <laughs> son of a gun. It's a, it's a, it follows a great storyline. You know, it tells us where he comes from, how he got his powers, uh, follows us through kind of fighting some baddies. Uh, good amount of fight scenes with a good amount of storytelling mm-hmm. scenes, which I like. I, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm finding that the Defenders has too many fight scenes for me. Oh, okay. So it's you more know, like so, a classic uh, superhero flick for him. Yeah, you, you know, but Luke Cage does mm-hmm. a really good mix. We see the politics of uh, the police and the media. We see how money and guns can go through Harlem. And we get really that kind of the wire sense of everything is connected. Yeah, I um I watched like four episodes of Luke Cage and for whatever reason just didn't pick it up again, but I've been meaning to. So this is a good reason to do so. I've always thought that Luke Cage was basically like, Omar from The Wire, right, but like yeah. jacked up because Omar always represented this sort of invincible character in yeah. The Wire. Yeah, that's so a, it's, a, it's a nice parallel to be drawn. Now, huh. one thing that I did find a little disappointing okay. is uh, Jessica Jones does not make an appearance in Luke Cage. Uh, yeah, she's right. mentioned, uh, you know, the incident about um, him getting his head blown off by her almost or where she shoots him in the head. Uh, so that if you've watched Jessica Jones, we see that scene in Jessica Jones. And then the mm-hmm. timeline gets a little messed up for me. Uh, going between uh, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and the Defenders. So I'm not 
exactly sure where things and when things are happening. Yeah, I heard that that was an issue from like people who pay a lot of attention to this sort of thing. Well, it's the sort of thing I pay attention to. Yeah, I know you do. Why? That's why I'm looking at you. Why? Bro. Because Luke Cage uh, is a sexy, big black man <laughs> and he picks up a lot of women and I can base my storyline on who he's sleeping with. So, oh, really? So, you know, you do <laughs> uh, I don't, I'm not sure anymore. So I don't know. It's kind of, at some point it kind of looks like he could be between t- two or three. So I don't know. The, the old storyline is a bit murky there. It does. Uh, but anyway, Luke Cage, worth it's on Netflix. Check it out. It yeah. is definitely worth a watch. And that's in its like second season now. Is that right? I've only seen one. Yeah, I've only heard of one season. Okay, cool. I'll yeah. go give it a read. And kind of like the same thing with like Luke Cage only has one season. Oh, okay. uh, Iron Fist, I believe, only has one season. Really, the only one that has two is uh, Daredevil. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and probably uh, Jessica Jones as well. Uh, probably has a couple. Of, just one. Oh, just one? She only has one season. There's Weird. a lot of storyline there. Uh, oh. that we miss with Jessica Jones. Yeah, I've heard great things about that show as well. I really hope they go back and give yeah. us second seasons of the other yeah, ones. Sure. Uh, I would also love to see a second season of The Defenders. Yeah, for sure. Uh, binge-worthy television right there. Marvel Universe getting recreated by Netflix. Uh, wrong. And there's tons of The Wire actors uh, yeah. that have come back in yeah. these uh, recreations. And of those it. actors have chops. Like they're, So when you know they have good actors in there, then it helps the show along. For oh, sure. Helps you buy into the superhero premise. <laughs> uh, talking about helping shows along, Matt, I want to tell people how they can help us along. And that is really by connecting with us on our social media. Uh, we are on Twitter at the underscore SIM underscore POD. We're on Facebook at the SimPod. You can send us an email, semi-intellectual at gmail.com. Our website, including the archives of the show, is thesim.podbean.com. We're on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Overcast, all that good stuff. Uh, also, Please leave us some ratings, some reviews on our Facebook page. That's where we're headed. That's where we want you to engage with us. That is at the Simpod, all one word. Like us, follow us, leave us a review. I'll even, you know, send us some articles to post. Post on our on our timeline or wall or whatever the hell it's called. Yeah, that'd be really helpful, actually. Matt, I've loved this episode. I think yeah, this, this is a blast. this is part of my top five favorite ones. Really? Okay. It cool. is right now. Cool. I'm saying that before the edits. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> All right. Thank you for tuning in, folks. Uh, we will talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. Even with a squiggly black stripe going across horizontally? A what? Squiggly black stripe going across a yellow sweater. <laughs>